Paul writes, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. He grew up with an extreme interest in people, in religion, in philosophy, in the world's uh, ethics and morals, and he was into history very deeply. He made bold and strong prophetic predictions about the future. He knew all about the ways of the people of his homeland, and more than any person before him or after him, he could read the mind and heart of another person. What he discovered about the typical Israelite was that they were stubborn, extremely stubborn when it came to learning life lessons. They just didn't seem to adapt that well. They were full of pride when you tried to teach them important truths. They had a habit of closing their ears when it came time for correction. They had a will as resistant as iron to change. They were not a very submissive people to the voice of God in their lives. And so one day, Jesus kind of laid it all out before these people. He knew all this about them, and and he kind of gave them this simple challenge and invitation, let go and let God. Well, no, he didn't put it exactly that way. But he did put it in these words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let go and let God. It, that's about what he was saying. You see, they were a really stubborn, proud, and resistant to change kind of people. God had so much to lay out before them, so much to give to them, that was just waiting for them to take, but they had this inner attitude within them that was so resistant to change. And Jesus was pleading with them to let go of that and let God bring changes to your life because you will see such a remarkable difference in all of it. Let go and let God. You know what? The human race hasn't changed at all. Jews are not the only race that that, that seems to be a, a trait of. Our Bible reading this year, if you've been keeping up with you know, all of you that are reading this Bible through this year, wasn't it interesting this last week we've gone through a lot of things, and one of the things was the flood, the days of Noah, which were ten generations from Adam. And, and there they are. There, were, there was a people that you discovered on the face of the earth that were resistant to God. They just didn't want to change. They just didn't want to really let God do things in their lives. And then in Jesus' day, we find the same thing happening. It should not surprise us at all that in our day, we are still human beings resistant to change. We uh, just It's not an automatic, natural thing on the part of this human being makeup to want to change. It doesn't come with the ter- territory. So on our part, there has to be this real letting go of ourselves and willfully choosing to let God lead in our lives. Today, the theme of letting go 
and let God has to do with the Scriptures. It wasn't that long ago that I actually preached on the Scriptures, but we're taking a little bit different twist today. And that is that it is not just you need to read the Scriptures, but you must submit to the Scriptures. It's not just reading the Word, but always asking then after you're reading the Word or as you are reading the Word, how does this apply to me? What is it saying to me? What are the changes, Holy Spirit, you want to speak to me right now as I'm reading these words or as I have read those words? What are you saying to me in my life? How does this affect me? You know what? It's interesting. The Israelites were very, very good at reading the Scriptures. And I've asked my friend Doug Berkowitz to come up and help me this morning. And uh, Doug has some Jewish background. Doug, come on up, brother. I'm going to give you a microphone. And we've got some, some time here to spend this morning, a little bit here. to. Um, Doug, come on up. Don't be afraid because these people love you. Especially if they could have seen you the night of, uh, you know, when we gave out the treats in the parking lot there. They would love you. I'm going to talk to Doug about a couple of things. The first thing here is a mezuzah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Cheryl, when we went to Israel, the motel rooms we stayed at, outside the motel room, the mezuzah was placed on the door frame. And we got this one free. It's, it's an authentic mezuzah. The Jews use it. Inside of the back is uh, some Hebrew writing. I don't know what it is. Doug, tell us a little bit about the mezuzah for the Jews. Well, the mezuzah is a symbol. And hold this thing up. You've got a good beaming voice. but, but need more than that, huh? Okay. okay. Better. That is a symbol <clears throat> that distinguishes man from animal. The mezuzah is a, it has two scriptures in it. It has, it comes from Deuteronomy. Uh, there are two separate scriptures in there. And you place this on the door frame of your home. And you can also, in a lot of the Orthodox homes, every room in the house, with the exception of one, has one on the door frame. Because as you go from room to room to room, it's a different cell. It's a different room used for different purposes. It's a room that uh, represents cleanliness, joyfulness, whatever the room represents. That is why you place them on each one of the door frames. There's one room in the house that does not receive one. Um, <clears throat> and I'll just leave it to your imagination. It's not a bedroom. It's not a kitchen. It's, <laughs> it's the other room, the bathroom, okay? <laughs> There is not one on that door frame. As the Jewish person or any, anybody goes into the home, they reach up, they touch the mezuzah, and they kiss their hand. Or they kiss their lips or kiss their fingers, touch the mezuzah. That shows respect to God, and it shows God's respect for you. As a human being, as a representative, each one of us, whether it be Jew, Gentile, whatever, represent God in their own way. And the mezuzah is a thing that stands up there and is a symbol. If you've traveled through the Middle East, if you go through the Middle East and you see a lot of homes, you'll see spots 
You know how like, we have a picture hanging on the wall? And you take the picture down, there's a spot left on the wall. It's the same thing on the doorways of the homes. With Every house just about in the Middle East has had a mezuzah at one time or other on that door. The people that move into the homes, if they're not Jewish, they take them off the door. The Jews leave them on the door. Um, growing up in New York, I had one. I had one. My grandmother had one in every room in the house. Every room in the house. And as you went from room to room, you kissed the mezuzah and you kissed yourself to the mezuzah because you were entering a room that was respectful and representative of God and you were the humanistic, I guess you want to call it, representative of God. The, excuse me. The prayers inside come from Deuteronomy and they represent different portions of it. Um, I've got to wrote down here because I Failing memory, Bob Tom's getting old. <laughs> but the, um, excuse me, let me, let me get this out of here. It, um, yeah, I got in big letters so I can even see it better. <laughs> it contains the first two paragraphs of the Shema prayer, which is declaring the oneness of God and commanding us to write these words on the doorposts of your house. You can look this up, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The second passage is Deuteronomy 11, 12 through 21. Teaches the Jewish destiny, both individually and nationally, depending upon fulfilling God's will. In other words, this is something that's placed on the doorpost, representing God to you and you to God. And every time you walk through the door and you touch that mezuzah, you, you acknowledge to God that you are with him you obeying him, you obeying his word. And it's a, it's a representative symbol that that's pretty fancy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a pretty fancy one. Normally, they have the, the uh, symbol inside there, the, the words. And it's a metal. the reason for the cover is strictly for um, weather, to protect the words inside. And they have some beautiful ones that are fancy, uh, silver, gold, ornate like this one or whatever. They, all that is is just a cover that represents and covers, protects the Word of God in those two passages. Okay. The next thing, um, Doug, share, share just a little bit about uh, the young man coming up to the stage in his life for his bar mitzvah and how the Bible is a part of that. How, what, what does he have to do with the Bible and what are the requirements of the Bible to get through that? Okay, that looks like me. Uh, <laughs> When a boy, a Jewish boy, reaches the age of 13, they have a ceremony. It's called the Bar Mitzvah. Bar meaning man, mitzvah meaning commandment. Mm-hmm. Man, commandment, because at the age of 13, the, man, the young lad, the young man rather, becomes a man. He is granted all the rights, all the privileges, and unfortunately, all the responsibilities of a grown adult at 13. Now, how does this man become, or how does this young man become a man? There's a ceremony, and you, you see the picture that represents the bar mitzvah. There is a ceremony that um, the young man goes through, and what happens is this. Depending upon who you are, when your birthday is, and I mean, there's a whole lot of other things that go into it, how you were brought up, so on and so forth. The Bible, 
or the Torah, which is what they're reading there. Uh, you, I'm sure you've all seen the Ark, and you've seen the scrolls inside the Ark. Those scrolls is called the Torah, and that's the five books of Moses are written in that, in, uh, handwritten. Every one of those is handwritten, handscribed by a man of God. It's just not, you just can't go out there and pick up a pen and start writing. And you have to be ordained and administered to be able to write into the Torah. As part of your, there it is right there. As part of your becoming a man, you must read a portion of the Torah or the Bible as it refers to your particular date and time of birth. Um, I'll give you an example of mine. I am the firstborn son of a seventh son of a seventh son. Now, in old biblical terms, I am or will be, should be, the next king of Israel. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> but uh, that's the way that's the way with the firstborn son of a seventh son of a seventh son uh, your destiny was to be one of the or destiny was to be the next king of Israel in line saying that when it came time for me to be 13 or when I reached the age of 13 my ceremony was short supposedly short and sweet I ended up you know, like the preacher from start to finish I and I did the entire ceremony. I did the opening prayers. I did all the reading from the Torah. It took me months and months and months of practice to learn how to read that because it's written in Yiddish and Aramaic. There are no symbols. There's no, it's really hard to read. But it took me, a, uh, it took me four or six months to get that all down pat. This is a major, major portion of a young Jewish boy's life. Hmm. He becomes a man. He accepts the responsibilities of a man. Um, <clears throat> really and truthfully, in the Bible, there is nothing in the Bible that says there has to be a ceremony. This has been carried on and on over the years and over the years, and eventually it's got to the point now today where it's been very, very flamboyant. The meaning is still there. It's just more flamboyant hmm. than it used to be. And they have a huge, huge, huge party afterwards. That's the best part. <laughs> because not only do you get to be a man, you get to represent your family as a man, but you get the presence, physical things given to you hmm. as a man and as a leader. Uh, and part of my 13th birthday, uh, when I turned 13, I had to sign over all of my grandparents' responsive, all of my grandparents' uh, property, it was automatically given to me. Everything, and because I have my prestige and my standing, I had to physically sign a piece of paper giving it all back to them, so they could use it until they no longer needed it. Then it referred to me. But this is the most solemn—I shouldn't say the most—one of the most solemn rites of passing that a Jewish young man has. And it is represented in the Bible. And um, in fact, I don't want to, I've been reading some, have read Old and New Testament. And what, at what age did Christ start preaching? What age did Christ start preaching? 12 years old, 12 and 13 years old. Therefore, at the rite of passing, he became a man and he became the leader. And therefore, that's, that's, so those are the two other things.
You going to be around for lunch, Doug? Because uh, there'll, there'll be people may want to ask you stuff. Well, I probably will. Okay, there you go. So let's give them a hand. Appreciate that. <laughs> I wish I had that beaming voice, I oh, tell you. I know this, that uh, when a boy started school, uh, I don't remember what age, four or five, a Jewish boy in Jesus' day, and he would go to school, to go to the synagogue, and, and uh, that very first day, the rabbi there, the teacher that would teach those young boys in the synagogue there, would give the boys a little slate, literal piece of slate, you know, like uh, you would write with chalk on and uh, would write a letter or two on that piece of slate, and then the, the teacher would pour honey on that slate, and the young boy would have to lick it off. And that was representative of, you know, God's words are as honey to the taste, to the soul. He would also make little cakes out of rye or barley that were shaped like the Hebrew alphabet, and the little boy would have to eat those. Again, a symbolic thing of driving home the point to these boys God's word is the dearest thing to you in your life. And uh, as Doug shared some things about the mezuzah and the bar mitzvah, that comes up again also in the, in the Jewish background and of uh, their faith. But added to all of that has to be submitting ourselves to God, letting go and letting God. The scriptures are not powerful unless that particular part of the puzzle is added to it. Let's look at five things quickly that Paul brings up in his passage here that uh, the scriptures will do for us. Number one, the scriptures give the wisdom which brings salvation. Russell has already shared with us, Brother Powell, some ways how the Gideon Bible just being placed and somebody having an interest in the Bible has brought them to God. And I was listening on the radio just this past week, Christian Radio, one evening, And I didn't catch the name of the man that was being interviewed, but it was a story about a man who actually grew up as a Jew. His family was not a practicing Jewish family. They were in nationality only, and so they didn't really pick up on the Jewish faith. But this young man enrolled at Yale in the early 1970s, later went on to the University of Michigan, and was doing schooling in ethics and philosophy and deep thinking, And he was just into all the world's greatest thinkers and writers at the time. That left him being atheistic and communistic and proud of it. And his professors were proud of him. And he also took up an interest in the Russian language. And uh, it just so happens that that I have a Russian Bible in my possession here. I was going to give it to a girl today that was going to come with joy. And I don't see her here from Russia, Katya. And I was going to give her this copy of the New Testament in Russian because I have two of them. But anyway, this this man, young man in college, Yale and Michigan, become atheistic, become uh, communistic, uh, decided to take up the language of Russian. And in helping himself learn Russian, somehow, providentially I'm sure, he came across the copy of a Russian New Testament. And he thought, I'm only going to read this to use my Russian skills, to see if I can really handle the language of the Russian language. 
So he opened up that, that New Testament, began reading in Matthew, and he said when he got to the Sermon on the Mount, he said to himself, I have never in all my reading seen anything like this. Isn't that amazing? He said even Tolstoy, who I don't read Tolstoy, but he's supposedly some great deep thinker, doesn't come close to what I have just read in the Sermon on the Mount. Very quickly, he became a Christian after that, after, after reading that, being atheistic and, and communistic before that. And uh, so in a very short time, he became a Christian. The scriptures are powerful in that type of way in bringing us wisdom for salvation. And Paul is sharing that with Timothy. The second thing Paul talks about is the scriptures are of use in teaching. Yesterday morning, I attended a boys' basketball game, third and fourth grade boys. Jeremy Cole was playing. Is Jeremy here today, Jennifer? Okay, all right. I'll tell you what, you, you need to go to a third and fourth grade basketball game with boys. These boys love the game. I mean, for four quarters, they ran up and down the court. They yelled at each other. They tripped over their own feet. They did all those kinds of things. And, and I'll have to admit, what I was watching was a little bit different than what I might have watched if I turned on the TV yesterday and watched K-State and KU and some of those other guys playing. But I also know that in the next five to six years, those boys are going to see drastic improvements in the way they play basketball. It is going to be amazing to watch them and see how they change in the next five to six years, and mainly because they will be taught. They will learn. And the scriptures are meant to be a teacher to us. When Jesus says, come unto me and learn of me, he is talking to us, telling us that to let his spirit teach us. It is to be a letting go of maybe what we have perceived in life, what we thought was right, and letting God show us, no, this is what I'm really saying to you. Pick this up. The third thing Paul talks about here is the scriptures are valuable for reproof. The meaning here is very interesting. At first glance, we would think that the scriptures, okay, are there to always show us where we're wrong, to always kind of, uh, you know, be there to kind of beat us up. And some people think the Bible is that kind of thing. It's a thing that I'm going to use to beat you up and correct you. And some people take the Bible to, to think it's a thing that's going to keep beating me up personally. That is not what reproof means here, because if that were true, God would be unloving and uncaring and only a God of justice. But that is not our God, is it? He is a just God, but he is equally loving and caring. And uh, God doesn't come across that way. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest because I love you. God speaks to us from the scriptures to reprove us, but because he loves us, he wants to spare us the afterlife in hell, doesn't he? And uh, he wants to replace our sadness of heart with joy. He wants to turn despair to hope. And the scriptures do that, but only as we 
submit to him. Let go what we need to and let God put into us what we need to. So the scriptures are the trainer in our lives. Number four, Paul says, the scriptures are of use for correction. It's in the Proverbs that we read this, as a man thinketh, so is he. You become what you think. Negative thoughts lead to despair. You know, even hopelessness. Positive thoughts usually lead to success in accomplishing dreams and going on. And it's important that what we think about in our lives is always screened by the Scriptures. That is what it means when Scriptures are for correction. It's like the man that I heard on the radio. He was atheistic. He was communistic in his mind. And what did the Scriptures do for him? The Scriptures came along and corrected all that faulty thinking. And just like that, the Scriptures are useful for correcting what needs to be corrected in our own lives. Have you had those moments in your life when you were down and blue and it looked bleak and hopeless for you? And then through something in the Scripture you read, all of a sudden the bleakness went away. All of a sudden, your outlook wasn't so blue anymore. Sure, you've had those moments. And uh, the Scriptures were that thing that did that for you. And it was as you let go of what you needed to and let God replace it with the hope and and, uh, the, the dreaming of the future that God can do for your life. The fifth thing that Paul brings up here is the Scriptures train us in righteousness and equip us for every good work. Now, here's why I brought Doug in. Obviously, Doug Doug can share a whole lot more with you, and you need to sit down with him at lunch and ask him some questions about his Jewish background and everything. But the Jews of Jesus' day, and today also, I guess, many of them were very knowledgeable of the Scriptures could quote long portions of Scripture. They prided themselves in that. They have us beat all over the place, just all over the place. But their primary motive for reading the Scriptures and memorizing them was really more of a selfish one. It was they competed. They wanted to be the best in Scripture knowledge. They wanted to be one up on everybody else outdo each other. It was a pride thing for them. But Paul is trying to get across here, you don't read the Scriptures for that reason. You don't, uh, you, you, you don't do it to try to be up on somebody else. You don't do it because you're wanting to maybe earn brownie points from God. But here's the reason why, and Paul has just put it down here. Study the Scriptures. Learn the Scriptures so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is he saying? Do all you can in learning the Scriptures so that you can better help other people. Sometimes if we think we just need to read the Scriptures for ourselves, we're missing part of the point, a big part of it. And I'm excited about us going through the daily Bible this next year. 
And I encourage you, do your very best to keep up with it. If you get behind a little bit, don't give up. Just keep plowing right along. And others of you that are in Bible reading programs, just keep with it. That's exciting, but do it. Why? Do it for this reason, not for selfish reasons, not to be filled with knowledge, not to be one up on other people, not to maybe earn brownie points with with God, but through the teaching of the scriptures in your mind and heart, you can serve others more effectively. And Paul is teaching that. You can do more for others as the scriptures do more for you. You want to serve others better in your life? Are you, are you kind of asking yourself, what gifts can I use in my life? What can I do in my life that God can really flow through me? The Spirit of God can really do things through me that will help others. Read the scriptures with the attitude of God, teach me so that I can better do things for others. Let go and let God. We are beings that tend to resist learning and change and admitting we've made mistakes. We're that way. And that we need someone to help us figure it out for us. Well, the scriptures do that for us. They are full of wisdom. They are full of help. They are full of power. And let's not be like the ones during the flood who resisted God's voice. Let's not be like the ones in in Jesus' day, who were stubborn and resistant. We are like them. We don't want to admit that. But let's not be that way. Let's let go and let God work in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you how it penetrates our hearts, speaks to our spirits, gives us direction and wisdom and guidance corrects us when we're down and corrects us Lord when so many other things can get us off track but also because as we take in your word Lord and and we want to serve others better through your word we will do just that help us Lord as as uh, we serve others better help us to keep up with those reading programs and Lord may this be the year of the Bible in our church. In your name we pray, amen.